Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be together. Happy, happy uh, May long weekend to you. <laughs> Victoria Day, right? Yeah, it's Victoria Day. Um, we have a lot to celebrate today. It's great to be together. We celebrated a child dedication uh, at the first service, and I have good news for you today. Yesterday, Sindel uh, Cummings and Andrew McHugh pledged their marriage vows. They were married here yesterday, so we want to say congratulations to Andrew and Sindel. And uh, I also want to extend a special welcome to those of you who are joining online or watching this series um, as you learn about who River Cross is, and we're uh, great to have you uh, with us here together. Uh, did I say I'm Matt yet? Did I introduce myself? Uh, my name is Matt, and uh, uh, one of the things about my age is I grew up during those mid-90s sitcoms. And uh, if you were around at that time, you'll know what I'm about to talk about. Um, you would watch that 30-hour episode. And at the end, there was always a very important lesson. The dog would come home, mom and dad would stop fighting, the kids would start getting along, and then all of a sudden there was this beautiful instrumental music happening to try to drive home the point that there's something emotional going on right now. You, you might remember that. Maybe you do. Maybe you're not. Um, maybe you don't. Uh, I have that same idea in my mind when I think about this next series that we're going to be talking about. Uh, for the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about Rivercross Church values and the things that are important to us. And as we've been talking and preparing for this series, I've kind of been thinking, yeah, these, these five things, when we talk about these five things, it's kind of like that emotional soft music is starting to come on and we're trying to drive home a point about who we are and what we do. So we're really excited for this. Um, for the next five weeks, we want to take some time to talk about what it means that Rivercross Church has values. And so we're going to take some time. I hope it'll be encouraging for us. I hope it'll be refreshing for us. Um, but before we begin, I thought it might be helpful. Okay, let's first talk about what values are and what values are not. Okay, so let's get into that a little bit, and then we'll begin. Uh, first of all, every church around this whole world that proclaims the good news of Jesus and, tend, and claims to follow him in, our, in, in obedience to God's call in our lives and in this world, we all have the same mission. It was crystal clear. Jesus, in the Bible, made it very obvious to his followers what they are tasked to do to love God, and to love others. That is it. It's not optional. Jesus made that very crystal clear for us. So every church around the globe has the same mission. But how each particular church carries out that mission, carries out its own calling, is different, obviously. No two churches are ever exactly alike. And so it's our values that make a church, any church, makes our church unique. Our values shape the way that we act, it helps us make decisions, and it ultimately defines what it means to be Rivercross Church. And so we want to take some time to talk about that. Now, we just naturally start to know what our values are simply by the way that we make decisions, simply by the way that we live together and do ministry together. They're caught, they're taught, and then they're passed on. We are who we are simply by what we've come to value and cherish. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, all carried out differently by the different gatherings of Jesus' followers. And it's beautiful. 
So our church values have developed over time, and that's the way it should be, generation upon generation, passing on their values and us learning and, and bringing them to life in our own lives and in our own churches. Um, our values are not things that an individual pastor or a staff or even a particular leader of our church can just say what our values are. Okay, that's not the point of values. Values are just lived out, a common understanding about who we are and what we do. They're just there. Now, sure, values can change. They can be refined. Uh, they can be redefined over the years, and that's fine. But at any given time of a church's life, at River Cross's life, it's first and foremost, what is God's call on our lives, and how are we going to live that out? God's people gathering together, understanding that God has a call and is encouraging us to respond and to live that out. The Bible talks about this in all kinds of different places. In Romans 12 too, it says, uh, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. If we're gonna claim to be Jesus followers, don't we want to know what he wants us to do and then live it out? Also in Ephesians 4, so then, this is my appeal to you. Yes, it's me. This is Paul writing, the prisoner of the Lord. You must live up to the calling you have received. So we hope this series will be refreshing for us. It'll be an opportunity. I hope it's going to challenge us. And it's kind of like um, a personality test. You know, you answer all the questions, and then it reports back to you kind of what your personality is or um, something like that. But the reason that we want to do this is just to take some time to recognize some of those things that have shaped us to become who we are. What does River Cross look like? And I think it's going to be encouraging for all of us. Now, before we go any further, of course, of course, and I know that you already know this, but it's one thing to define what your values are and to create language around it. That's, that's good. But it's a completely other thing to actually live it out. And that's what the goal is of, of us taking some time to talk through these things, is we want to know what it is that our values are, understand how that shapes God's call in our lives, and how it is that we're going to live it out. In James chapter 5, it says, don't just listen to the words and so deceive yourselves, but to actually do what it says. So here are our five things. Here are the five values we're going to spend a week talking about each one. Uh, worshiping, compassionate, welcoming, beautiful, mission-minded, and then the one we'll talk about today to get things started is gospel-centered. So let's begin. Uh, if you have your Bibles there with you, um, we're going to turn to two different passages, but I'm going to tell you what they are first, because you may want to put your finger in just to kind of hold your spot, because we're going to talk about one, and then we're going to quickly trans uh, uh, move over to the next one. So uh, the first one is Matthew chapter 11, and uh, if you are using one of the red Bibles in the seat in front of you, uh, you can turn to page 1512, 1,512. And then the second passage, sorry, I'll give you a second, you can turn there. And so I can turn there too. The second passage is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll put them on the screen for you uh, when the time is right, but I'm going to tell you now where we're going. So Matthew chapter 11 and 1 Corinthians chapter 5. No, 15, sorry. Chapter 15. 
So what does it mean for us to be gospel-centered? Well, the word gospel simply just means good news. That's it. Good news is the gospel. Imagine if somebody bursted into your workplace tomorrow uh, or Tuesday, uh, bursted into your school or another place uh, where you gather, the coffee shop or whatever, and somebody exclaimed, I have good news. You'd want to know what they're going to say, right? It would capture your attention. You would notice the enthusiasm with, with, with what they're speaking and the excitement behind what there is about to share. That's the reason why I said that Andrew and Sindel's wedding is good news. I wanted to capture your attention and to celebrate together that great, that great news that, uh, that they've been married. The disciples had good news to share. They had the gospel to share. But now, now when we hear the word gospel, we can think of all kinds of different things, can't we? You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books of the New Testament, we call those the gospels, right? Somebody talking may say, this is the gospel truth, you know, as a way to reinforce that what they're saying is important. Some people will say that churches preach the gospel, which I would agree with, they, that we have a message of God's love, and that's what we're talking about here today. And then for others, some people hear the word gospel and they think it's a genre of music, right? We use the word gospel in a lot of different ways, but let's just remember that gospel simply means good news. And that's what it meant for Jesus too. Even Jesus used the phrase good news. And I want to turn there first. That's why we're going to go to Matthew chapter 11 first. And uh, I'd like to read a story. Uh, this is, these are Jesus's words as he's going about his teaching and ministry. I'm going to read a few verses that are not on the screen. I'm going to start at verse 1, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. And uh, when we get to verse 4, I'd like us to read that together, please. Okay, so let's, uh, let's hear the story of uh, Jesus here. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to him to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? And then would you read with me the words on the screen? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Here we have Jesus proclaiming the good news. And there's so much going on in this passage. It's so significant and so important. And I would love to spend more time talking about this, but I'll just briefly summarize two key things uh, in this passage. The first one is that the original Jewish hearers of Jesus making this statement would have immediately connected to an Old Testament verse. So when John the Baptist, held captive in prison, discouraged by the life of ministry that caused him to be suffering for his faith and for his message, was wondering at all if Jesus really was who John the Baptist thought he was, John sends his disciples out to ask Jesus this question, are you the promised one? Instead of just coming out and saying yes, Jesus quotes Old Testament scripture. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. 
And through these words, the first readers would have heard crystal clear that Jesus not only is uh, quoting Old Testament to say that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise in Isaiah chapter 61, but those original Jewish listeners would have also known that they thought and believed and expected that the one who would fulfill Isaiah 61.1 was the coming promised Messiah. So it's not like just Jesus was coming as a prophet and saying, I am fulfilling Isaiah 61.1. He's also saying, I am the fulfillment of God's promise through Isaiah. And you know that the one who fulfills this promise is the promised one is the Messiah. So I love this because Jesus could have very easily said, yes, I am the one that you think I am. But instead he gives evidence to it. The dead are raised, the deaf can hear, lepers are cleansed, and the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. And the disciples got it. They knew this really was good news. It was like the disciples were the ones that were bursting through the doors, declaring to everyone, I have good news. And they did what they could to make sure as many people heard as me- and the message was spread as widely as possible. Many people, though, don't realize that this is what Christianity is all about. That the good news has come into this world. The gospel of the kingdom of heaven The gospel of the kingdom of heaven. That's the phrase that uh, especially Matthew uses in his book. If ever he uses the word gospel, he also says it's the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. The good news of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the place where God reigns is coming to earth and making a difference now. A wonderful promise. An excited thing that the disciples were passionate about having other people know. And even to Jesus, believing in this good news, caused him to lose his life for it. He gave his life for this gospel, completing the work that God set out to do through him. By living and dying, God once and for all overcame all power of sin. And Paul puts it in his words in 1 Corinthians 15. And so if uh, you had your finger in in your Bible there, the other passage I wanted you to turn to, um, the gospel is again uh, explained here in Paul's words in one of the letters uh, in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 6. And uh, I'll I'll read from the Bible. It's on the screen here as well. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that the Messiah died for our sins in accordance with the Bible, He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Bible. He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and he was seen by 500 brothers and sisters at once, most of whom are still with us, though some fall asleep. And then, connecting that the kingdom of heaven has arrived, connecting that Jesus died and rose again, proving his ultimate authority as king over this earth, Paul finishes his gospel message with these words that are on the screen. And these ones I'll ask you to read with me. You can read it in whatever language you wish. Um, The English and a few others are on there, but if you want to read in in your own language, that would be beautiful for us to hear that as well. So this is the end of Paul's gospel message in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Would you read it with me? So, my dear brothers and sisters... 
Be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Paul is saying is that good news, this gospel, this good news, the message that God wants people to hear is this. Jesus rose from the dead. He is alive. He overcame the darkness of sin and despair and suffering and injustice, and he is bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And it's a beautiful promise for all of us. It's good news for us. It's good news for the original hearers. And it causes us to know that there really is new life. New life. Not just for us after we die so we can spend uh, an eternity enjoying the presence of God. And that's wonderful. That is an important part of the good news. But there's new life happening now. We can be part of God's plan to bring God's kingdom to earth. We are God's plan in bringing God's kingdom to earth. And we pray it all the time in the Lord's Prayer, right? Your kingdom come as in, on earth as it is in heaven. We are his people. We are called by his name to live out this good news. And it's amazing. So at Rivercross Church, we value the fact that God has good news for us he has good news for our city, and he's calling us to be part of what he's doing. It offers us hope. Now, values are great. They're wonderful. And like I said before, we need to live them out. But our values also need to meet a need of some sort. In what way is God using our values to help meet uh, any particular needs? Well, I have a few ideas um, of not only just needs that we can meet by having this gospel-centered value, but then also actions that we can take to help make sure that we're doing our part in living out a gospel-centered life. One of the needs is that we can just mention Jesus naturally in the way that we talk, the way that we think, and the way that we interact with others. The excitement and awareness of God's love and its world-transforming power will naturally flow from the way we act. Perhaps we're hiking outside in the nature, and we're aware of God's presence and his beauty and his creation. Or perhaps we've been reading something challenging or there's been something as we spend time with God that just comes to mind and you naturally want to share that with somebody. Maybe we're just naturally inviting our neighbors, our friends, or our loved ones to participate in what God is doing in our city. Maybe it's inviting to church or maybe it's going to an event or just opening up your home and hospitality like Renee mentioned with us last week. But are we creating opportunities for others to know that God is in the life-transforming business? And are we creating opportunities for people to respond? I think the other need that we can have met when we focus on having a gospel-centered life is that it allows us to be even more humble. We can be teachable. We can be trained, and we can be reminded that our call in our lives is to be obedient. I live to serve as the illustration and the example that Jesus himself made. And then ultimately, we can be a total life witness that Jesus changes everything about who we are and what we do. Because the gospel really is a whole lot more than just nice people doing nice things. If that's the definition of who we are, is just nice people doing nice things, then we've missed the point of the gospel. 
is that God loved this world and wants to see it transformed. And out of that desire, we do good things. So what are some of those things that we can do? What are those actions that I was just talking about? Well, if hope is going to drive us for everything that we do, if we know that God has called us to do something amazing, and we know that if God's power can even overcome the grave, then we have hope. Hope that we have the opportunity to actually accomplish the things that God wants us to accomplish. Hope drives all of what it means to know the gospel. It's our hope for this world to be making a difference. And it's hope in knowing that our lives are safe and secure because of Jesus dying on the cross for us. And with this hope, we are intentionally spending time in prayer for those around us. Offering invitations, invitations to Sunday mornings, like I said before, or just opening up your lives to others. Now this hope also gives us the opportunity to have great courage because we know that if God's put something on our hearts, if we know that there's something that God has been calling us to do, often two things can happen when that happens. The first one is that we question it. God, was that really from you? Do you really want me to do that? And the second thing is that we often want to question ourselves. You know, God, am I capable? Am I really capable of doing what it is that I think you've put on my heart? What if I embarrass myself? I'm not really qualified to act on your behalf. Somebody's going to recognize that I'm an ultimate hypocrite if I do this. And immediately we're caught in this trap of fear. But instead, when we remember that it was the God who raised Jesus from the dead, giving us that same power in our lives to define who we are and what we do, that has the power to break through our own timidity, to break through our own embarrassment or even our own hesitation and give us the source of hope that we have what it takes to fulfill what God has called us to do. And it is a wonderful promise. It gives us such encouragement and strength to know that the same God, we're going to sing this in a minute, the same God who rose Jesus from the grave, that power lives in us to accomplish great things. Now, I know life gets hard. Often we feel defeated. We feel hopeless. But that's when we can remember that Jesus even defeated death. That is the power he shares with us. And so as I wrap up and as I invite the, the band to come and, and to lead us in a closing song, I have two encouragements and uh, some different questions to help us wrestle through uh, some things to think about as we leave here today. My first encouragement for all of us is first to reflect and maybe even for the first time know that God loved this world so much that Jesus died for it that he took punishment for sin that we deserved, took it upon himself so that we can live in peace with God. The sin and the punishment for it is no longer ours to bear, but we can choose to believe and receive that wonderful gift. And so I encourage all of us to once again, or perhaps for the first time, consider if we've made that commitment to Christ. The second encouragement I have for all of us, perhaps we need to be challenged again to remember that God loved this world so much that he called you in bringing out his plan. A wonderful promise for all of us. How are we doing with it, though? How are we doing in doing our part 
of living out God's plan for his kingdom to come on earth? How have we devoted ourselves to this? Are we praying for our neighbors intentionally? Are we investing our time and our energy and our efforts into carrying out his work? Are we bringing hope into every situation life sends us in? It's an important message for us as Christians, and it's important to us as we value it as who we are as Rivercross. And, and my final word is the encouragement that we read together here this morning from 1 Corinthians 15, 58. In light of the gospel, the definition of who we are and how we are to live, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong, be immovable. Work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing that you do for the Lord is ever useless.